Warning. The following broadcast is not approved by your teacher, university, politician, or government. Side effects may include skepticism, better reasoning skills, liberty, peace, and an escape from the woke. Welcome to the show. I am your host, L.B. Muniz, and this is the Been Awake Podcast for Better Sense Making. If you are within the sound of my voice and you haven't visited beenawake.com and subscribe with your email address, can I ask you to do that today? It's been a while since I've done a solo episode, so I have a bit of a backlog. Got some new segments. Thanks for tuning in live or if you're catching the recording. It's been, uh, sure, it's been an interesting few weeks for everybody. These are interesting times that we live in after all, but we're going to get into it. I have uh, a new segment called the News Bite that I've been enjoying producing. And part of the News Bite, the second part is actually the podcast coverage where you can kind of jump off an idea and go um, maybe go a little quicker, I guess, or go a little bit deeper on an issue because part of the part of the News Bite, part of the News Bite and why I wanted to do it um, was to just keep it, keep it simple. A lot of times we can get lost in the sea of information, right? And I talk, I've talked often about how the issue isn't the issue isn't so much access to information, but how you go through information and how you actually process the information. That's the real challenge of today. It's not a matter of it's not a matter of bandwidth. It's a matter of well, I guess no. It's not a matter of stream. It's a matter of bandwidth, right? Everything is there for you. Everything that you could possibly want to know, if you look hard enough, you can likely find. Right. Or, 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 and then the absence of something in and of itself is something that you can find and you can discover. But so that's so I wanted to create this new segment of the news bite and I've been reworking some of the ideas for the show. And the focus is and always has been this is just a better way of putting it news, mindset, and philosophy. I think those are the three things that we can offer with the Been Awake Project for better sense making that um, a lot of people enjoy. So these, uh, so we're going to go through the news bites. The episode of today's show, of course, the the name was your POTP replacement. That's part of the problem host of, with uh, Dave Smith. Big fan of Dave. Um, congrats, just in case he sees this, which he probably won't. But just in case you do, congratulations on the new member of your family. I think it's awesome that you take uh, that you take time off to spend time with your new family and with the newborn. It's super important. And I'm just going to try and capitalize on the fact that some of your fans missed their daily news show this week. And we're going to kind of touch on some big stories or at least some stories that I think are worth your worth your attention. Right. One thing that you have to do, one thing that you have to try to do is do you choose, do you chase the news cycle or do you try to kind of create your own? And do you or do you try to um, do you try to show people stories that they weren't already aware of? Right. And so I try to find a nice a nice balance of um of those two things with, with the news bite segment. And then the longer pieces from now on are going to be more mindset focused. So just kind of like the orientation thing that we talk about, right. Of how do you prepare yourself to take on the world as an individual? And it's, I have found it to be a very worthwhile endeavor. Um, it's, it's, it's meditative in a sense. It really is meditative in, in what it, in what it does. Um, and then philosophy where we kind of try to combine everything together into some larger sense of meaning, or at the very least as practicing skeptics, we just try to pick up, pick apart the bad elements of what we see so that we can see the be- a better picture and a better, and a better way forward. So news mindset and philosophy, that's what you do at beenawake.com. And if you want to join the project for better sense making and become the free, please think about doing so with uh, just with your email address, if you subscribe for free, and if you'd like to support the mission, that would be awesome too. So now that I have rambled, with that and we're kind of getting into the flow of things. I'm going to share the screen. I've been I kind of built out this little studio thing in a corner of my place and you know the lighting seems to be working fine uh, and I got this little thing. Anyway, I've learned the hard way over a couple of interviews that I did recently. So thanks to the Rothbardian and thanks to James Guzman. Those are both going to get released over the next coming weeks just as soon as I finish editing them. Uh, it was a lot of fun to sit down with both of them, but I got, you kind of learn. I learned a little bit more about how to try and use this um, software the hard way, but this is kind of fun, helps put me in the mood and hopefully gives you guys a pleasant viewing experience. So that's the, that's the sign in page, of course, if you wanted to subscribe at beenawake.com, but we're going to start 
we actually I did cover this story a little bit with um, I did cover this story a little bit with my interview with the voluntary vixens. However, uh, I think it's worth going over again and kind of just touching upon some of those. Plus, you might not have checked out that interview. You should definitely do so. That wasn't all that we talked about. They have a really fun show and they get some really great guests as well. They do a good job of finding interesting people to talk to. And um, I think you can actually catch our interview on their feeds here soon enough if you wanted to check it out on their end. But so a couple of weeks ago, this was posted on September 20th. So I guess I think the weekend before is the Met, which is, of course, this big, big gallery or big gathering of like all the all the who's who in uh, Hollywood and New York. It's fat. It's fashion related. That's about all I know. I just know it's the Met, right? And the other thing that I know is somebody who's been consuming American media for his entire life is that part of the Met is there is a theme, right? Or there is a um, there's a theme or there's there's a certain level of dress when you go to the Met that is supposed to be above and beyond what you would do at any other kind of uh, any, any other kind of uh, show or award show or, or kind of gathering. And it has this... Um, it has this fashion gravitas around it as a consequence. Now, some people might think it's foolish to discount fashion. Uh, and you might be looking at this stream right now and saying something to the effect of, well, oh, you know, you're just wearing a you're just wearing a black Henley and jeans. What the heck do you know about fashion? Well, I did used to sell suits and I used to be somebody who paid closer attention. And I have family members who are in this world as well. So it's I like to look nice. This is minimalism thing is kind of a, an experiment of sorts in any event. I studied, I do find interest in fashion and aesthetics. And I think they tell more about our world than most people would like to let on. Because again, most people don't want to take the deeper dive that they can. Um, and I've, and fashion is also a really good way to see the, uh, to see a very, um, I guess we might say, hmm, less, less aggressive form of, like, how do you manipulate and I guess, or influence people? How do you bend reality to your will? Right. Because you see that in the fashion world. I did read a little bit on fashion. There's not a ton of like philosophy of fashion, but one, I think it was Simmel who wrote it. And it was, um, it, it was the, the crux of his argument that I actually agreed with is that what we call fashion is really just a matter of in-group signaling. Right. And so the elites are constantly trying to uh, reinvent and reconstitute what fashion is so that they can stand out from broader people and it kind of matriculates out through society, right? It's like a rock that you throw into a still pond. The ripples kind of move throughout and become fainter as they, depending on the force and the size and all that good stuff. So, but that's, I think that's an important element of fashion and certainly high fashion, that's where you, that's where you, we would see this. I always said when I was working in retail, a lot of people would come in and be like, well, what's the most fashionable thing right now? And my line was always that fashion is cyclical, style is eternal, right? So I think there's, um, which was kind of just a cheeky way of saying like, hey, buy what works for you, wear it well, and you're going to be okay in most situations, right? It's, it's all about how you wear clothes as opposed to the clothes that you wear to, to an extent. Um, but as this relates to the Met, right? So the Met is this high, the point, the lead up here is to remind ourselves that the Met isn't just, it's not even the Oscars, it's not the Grammys, right? Where there's like, it's literally designed to be, what's the craziest thing I can wear? Pretty much always, right? If we go back in history and part of the new cycle for whatever reason relies upon the fact that most people won't remember these types of things. Now, what makes the story unique about Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez going, um, going to the Met is the case that she is a congresswoman. And I, I didn't actually do any research to find out how historically common this place is. But certainly, um, certainly the way that this was covered is, has to be new to a certain extent. And the way I described it in my interview with the Voluntary Vixens was it's like this piercing of the political class into the, into the entertainment class in part because of like how we exist today with social media and that to amass yourself a following gives you power in a sense. And certainly Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is somebody who's done that well. So just gonna, so let's read through the story a little bit here. So we've all seen what AOC was wearing at the Met, right? If not, you can check out Vogue because Vogue has a nine minute YouTube video. I believe maybe it was, might be six minutes, but a nine minute feature cover of this entire extravaganza, you, you see. Vogue, right, which is like this major, uh, which is this major women's or I guess fashion magazine, 
and has done more and more in the political realm over the last five years than I think they did in the past. But Vogue in particular seems to have this relationship with AOC. AOC was on the cover of Vogue a few months ago. Um, that was back in November. And then now they're, now they're doing this feature here, right? And the entire idea behind doing a feature category, doing a feature in a magazine like Vogue is it's a, it's a contextualizing thing, right? It's, it's supposed to be a humanizing thing for the um for the viewers right it's supposed to you're supposed to read the story and and i i honestly only got about 30 seconds through the video before i'm like i don't really want to watch this and it was this very candid shot planted shot as it were this planned shot of aoc walking into a bodega and getting a cup of coffee in the morning and you know maybe that's what she does every day when she's in new york i really wouldn't know but certainly the act of going and filming this event was chosen right we're not just gonna even though it's a busy day i have this event later i'm not just gonna make the the coffee and the keurig today i'm gonna make sure i go to the bodega because you know i want to get my coffee and then we can kind of walk around with cameras and people are going to react to it that's how you see a production by the way there's always the performance in the production anything you see as anything that you consume any piece of information any video that you see is well, in many cases, produced in some fat in some form or fashion, right? And the higher up you go, right? And when you're dealing with somebody of a high status like AOC, who's you know she's managed to claim a very high status for herself within America, within the American uh, news cycle and with within American politics. So when you see that, you you have to look and you have to see the production more than just watch the performance. This is this is an idea that I'll I'll keep hitting on in the show. So the Met Gala, as I write um, on the screen here, as you can see, is one of those things designed to generate buzz. Every year, it's an event where people wear crazy stuff based on a theme, which is to say this year was no different. So, but this is what the cult of American democracy does. Democrats, you must defend AOC. Republicans, you must decry AOC. I've written about why you should take AOC seriously in the past. My personal take is I think that she will stay in the house and within within a couple of terms will be solidified in the power hierarchy and what she will do is basically walk towards the middle right because she is a very good corporate socialist co corporate democrat and i and which is just to say like what she so that's what she's I, that's my prediction we'll see if i'm right we'll see if i'm wrong she might she might very well also end up on a cable news program or having or just using her instagram and becoming a media personality as it were but but i do think but what i what i don't like is the is the degree to which everybody who opposes her tends to go for the the low-hanging fruit of mocking her right um and it's just this thing of pff, look at all her hypocrisy the hypocrisy by the way is part of the smoke screen right you focus on the hypocrisy you don't maybe see the wheels that are actually turning so I've written about why you should take AOC seriously in the past. And in my view, she did exactly what she was supposed to do. Become a symbol while giving them something to talk about. She was, this is just popping into my mind now, but you know, if we think of, uh, if we think of the, the, the book series like The Hunger Games, the whole thing with Katniss making a big show during the big interview ser series, right? So here she is in this white wedding dress. She did exactly what she was supposed to do. Be a symbol. This is the later. This is the latest flavor, as I write, of the same product, AOC. So, the point here isn't really to say that like there you can't make fun of AOC, right? I wouldn't be. That's not really my style. That's not really. That's not really the way that I would um, that I would do things or choose to do things, as it were. So, excuse me. Um, <laughs> As she becomes a symbol, let's break down the dress, right? Because I did this before, which is a very, it's a very simple white gown. White gowns are almost always, almost always used within the symbolism of, uh, of a marriage ceremony, right? Um, with few exception, and sometimes the Met Gala can be referred to as white tie. But white tie is technically doesn't have bearing, as bearing as in the classical sense, at least on what the women would wear. But she's wearing this dress and they put the tax the rich, which has kind of become her slogan, right? And it's this, 
it's the slogan that makes one feel good. And it makes one feel good because, you know, it relies on your ignorance of like economics or gives you better said, perhaps, because that's going a little, that's probably farther than anybody would want to take it normally. It gives you a satisfaction because it makes you believe that where you are is not a consequence of your actions is a consequence of something larger, right? So it, it, it feeds into this natural desire, I would say, that we kind of have to have our, um, it feeds this natural desire we have to make us feel better about our station in life. It's not, you, we have to have a reason for, for difference, right? It, especially because we're just, we're all kind of running the same software as humans that's evolved over millions of years. And so when we have a certain quantity of something and somebody else has a higher quantity, you have to have a, a reason for why that is. And one, you know, and if you look at something like the Bible, the 10 commandments, you say, you're not supposed to covet your, your neighbor's goods. And so that's, that's like a way of, that's a way of answering the question. It's like, that's not your decision. That's not what you're supposed to do. And some people who are maybe more free market based or more freedom oriented would say something to the effect of like, that's a consequence of how much work that they've done, provided that they've done their work ethically, right? It's a consequence of value creation, but that doesn't work for everybody. And so for AOC's audience, tax the rich is a way, it is a way I would, I would say in part to just feel good about your current station in life. And it's not supposed to be a rational point. It's supposed to be something you steal and it's supposed to be a very easy slogan. So that's why I don't think it's useful to focus on this consistent trope of like, oh, well, doesn't she know where she is? That she's at the Met Gala. We're, we're around millionaires and shouldn't she talk to them and not to us? And yes, of course she should. But the tax, the rich isn't there for you. Right. The tax, the, the tax of the riches for there is there for you to take that storyline and just spend your time and spend your time uh, playing with that. Right. That's staying inside of the cult of American democracy, as it were. The tax, the rich is meant for the people that it resonates with. And they're the only ones that it matters, that, that it hits. If it doesn't hit you and you just take the bait and you just try to examine it in a rational manner, which is which is fine, by the way, like it's after we do that, then what do we do? Right. And so we look and we say, OK, why is something like tax the rich, which is just this stupid, inane slogan that means nothing? Why does it resonate with people? And that's at least one of the that's that's at least one of the answers that I've I've come up with. So you can tell me what you think about it at a, at on a Twitter or something, if you're so inclined. The next story. See, that's a nice thing about these news bites. We just kind of just go through until it's ready to go. So this next news bite is the San Francisco mayor being moved by the spirit. So you might have caught this is from September 23rd is when I posted this. So, you know, we're doing some catch up right now. Um, and we're just going to play a little bit of this video. But it was I thought, again, what you can miss. Right. So we, uh, uh, this is from the blaze and what the blaze had as their headline, which is a very good headline. And part of the reason why I clicked on the um and part of the reason why I clicked on the video to begin with, if I'm being fair, the Blaze headline says San Francisco mayor caught violating her own mask mandate has. I don't remember what the rest of it is, but basically the line taken was like, can you believe that she's just saying this as her reason for not wearing a mask? Really uplifted the spirits of not just myself, but all of the people who were there. And from my perspective, you know, I was there. I was eating and I was drinking and I was sitting with my friends and everyone who came in there was vaccinated. So the fact that we have turned this into a story about being maskless, no, I'm not gonna sip and put my mask on, sip and put my mask on, sip and put my mask on, eat and put my mask on. While I'm eating and I'm drinking, I'm gonna keep my mask off. And yes, in the end time, while we're drinking, like everyone else there, we were all having a good time and again, all vaccinated. So the fact. Now I watched this video and I was extremely impressed. The, the blaze headline, as I already stated, is certainly meant to evoke a certain response, which is why I clicked it. 
if you watch closely though tell me if you notice if you watch so if you go back and you watch the whole video but even in those even in that little clip that i played i think it does a good job of showing this she spins the story perfectly the journalists offer only reinforcement which is kind of towards the end and she's completely logical now the story here is not about how she's violating her own mask mandate that she puts into place because again we should expect some kind of hypocrisy from people in power right that's that should that should be baked into the cake and so trying to hold them accountable does nothing it does nothing except spin our own wheels and generate a lot of energy and outrage that just kind of dissipates into the universe so she violates her own mask mandate and her response goes something like i was having a good time with people i cared about seeing a fantastic performance and we were all vaccinated now that's pretty logical. In fact, it's completely logical. It's also what most of us choose, most of us who choose to live our lives throughout everything that's been going on, that's what we've been doing, right? Everybody kind of wears, you know, you wear your mask into the restaurant and I'm in a state like Illinois, right? So sometimes you have to do this. You, you walk into a restaurant or a bar and you're wearing your mask until you get to your table. And then whether you're standing or sitting and really for the rest of the night, you don't really put on your face covering again. Everybody's been doing this. Even people who would otherwise proclaim their affinity for this new, uh, this new orthodoxy that's taken over our society. Yes. Even people who would otherwise proclaim the virtues of it will still, generally speaking, get, go by with this. And some are more some are more observant than others. Some will make sure that when they go to the bathroom, for example, that the that the face covering goes on. But I, I, I speak this way to point out this is what I have been observing, and I would have to think other people have been observing too, in different parts of the country. So why the pretense, right? Why then are we going to react against the story in such a way? that says, oh, well, <laughs> you know, this is, this is ridiculous. Can you believe that she would do something like this? She's violating her own mask mandate. Of course she is, because she was having a good time. And as she said at one part, and as she said also at one part of the story, and the spirit was moving her, right? So she was just having a good time, and she was doing what human beings do. So that's what is worthwhile in this story is not the emotional reaction you understand um, it is but it is worthwhile again looking at the production of what's going on it's very worthwhile to look at that video and watch and watch it in its entirety it's six minutes and what you'll see is the degree to which the journalists offer leading questions right so how this works is the mayor calls for a press conference and then everybody goes and does you know everybody goes out for the press conference and then she talks to the media that she wants to talk to these things are far more staged than, and you kind of understand that it's staged, but you will still take what they're saying at face value. She did a completely logical thing that we're all doing. So then the question that you have to ask yourself is why is the hypocrisy allowed so much? Because all of her, it, all of her supporters would say, yeah, of course, everybody, everybody was fine. Everybody was healthy at the event. So we could finally be normal again. And this is what we want. So the reactionary element against it can actually blind you. And so, again, the emotional reaction is fine, but how do we move past the emotional reaction? And, and also, how do you examine the news without being primed for that emotional reaction? That's, that's also part of the key here with a lot of these stories is how is making sure that you're not primed. And priming is the idea of, me, of setting something up beforehand. So I can prime you or one could, or stories will prime you to feel one way or another just by the headline, for example. Like if I say, let's see, killer cop kills seven, or, or killer, uh, what is it? Killer cop, uh, killer cop takes out baby, right? That would prime me from one way. Or if I say, decorated police veteran takes out a threat. Those are obviously not the best examples, but it, but it, does in a very crude way draw the point that I'm trying to say. The headline itself of a story is a way to prime one. Um, as far as the view, as far as the viewer goes, or, and, you know, it's used as an attention getter. And you do that as you write a piece. It's a, it's, it's kind of, it's a well-known thing. And that's again, kind of seeing the production here outside of the performance. So next story is about 
Tim Pool versus Jack Murphy. What is real autonomy? And we're going to get, so I got the last piece today, by the way, is Is Liberty Popular, which is one of my more original works that I've done recently. So looking forward to get through that. But I want to make sure I share this with the people who listen to the show, because I know all y'all don't always read the emails, which by the way, if you are subscribed to the podcast and you haven't gone over to binwake.com, if you would, that would be awesome. I'm looking to hit a number here soon that I think is entirely possible based off my current, based off my current reach, but. I don't know why I'm going all the way to the play here. This is a lot. Don't take the vaccine. You're pretty much going to be fine. So I know that this is nothing but bullying. It's nothing but bullying. And they have found that open wound, that open nerve, that one thing that I can't fight, which is the happiness and success and fulfillment that my children feel. They won. Dude, they've won. I know this. Yeah. So what am I supposed to do about that? Tell your kids stop playing baseball. Dude, just wait till you look your own 16-year-old in the eye that's and be fair. like, daddy's got a political point to make, so you have to be miserable. No, that's that's an oversimplification. No, it's it is, not. Yeah, it is. It's fair to say I don't have kids, so so perhaps I don't share, uh, you know, understand the emotion you're feeling, but uh, let there be troubles in my day so that my children will know peace. It's not a political position to defend freedom and stand up against tyranny. That is a responsibility, especially for an American. But... <laughs> If being the being vaccine, Division One baseball and being a, fa- a successful baseball player is more important than choose that and oh just God, say you're it. You're so simplifying it, man. Sometimes men and boy, boys and men need a vocation in order to become a mature adult. And right now, for my son in particular, being a baseball player is how he's learning responsibility, how he's learning discipline, how he's building his body, how he's learning about nutrition, how he's learning about risk-taking, how he's learning about courage, strength, loyalty, being a good teammate, competitive. All those things are more important. They're more important than personal freedom and sovereignty. When I don't have a choice? You do have a choice. You just don't want to admit it. Mm. You don't want to admit it, bro. No, actually, actually, at the end of the day, I'm not going to have a choice. You know why? why? Because if I take this all the way down to the final road, she's going to go to the court. She's going to get a court order. The court's going to bring in their physician. The pediatrician yep. is going to mm-hmm. say that the, the, that the kids should get the vaccine, and the judge is going to order it, and that's going to be that. And you'll have stood your ground. Well... I have stood my ground so far, I, I, and I do anticipate standing my ground as long as I can, as far as possibly long as I can, until the absolute last drop dead point where I have to like rip the dreams out of my kids' brains and hearts and crush them and make them cry in front of me. I think in the old days, they would have called that powerful radio. Um, so the center of the the center of this clip in particular, right? is a very important question that most people don't want to face. Are you really free? Are you really free if you, are you really, like, to what extent is anybody actually free, right? Like when freedom is, freedom can be defined quickly as, you know, the ability to do what you want, the ability to do what you want without worry of interference. I don't love it, but it's, it's enough for now. We can get into lofty conversations, as you guys know I love to do, about freedom in an abstract context, but in a practical context, what is freedom? And are you really free? And one thing that we've all discovered over the last 18 months this is, you know, this is, this is apparent is for the vast majority of us, we're probably not as free as we thought. Is that a fair, I don't know. Is that a fair thing to say in 2021 that even in America, we're not as free as we, we thought. I, I think it is. And what's really interesting about this clip between between um, Tim Pool and Jack Murphy is the emotion on display. And it's, and it's the true emotion. And I think, see, I look for moments like this. Um, you can be as, as some, as somebody who, you know, has as somebody who might maybe would study an issue further, obtain some sort of credential. It's a very, 
it's very common thing to say, like, well, you can't take one thing and, and use that to extrapolate, right? You can't, I've heard, I've heard, I've heard this tactic deployed on cable news before that you can't make a macrocosm out of a microcosm. And I think that's, I think that's a fair thing to say, but what I try to do, because we're all just stories in the end, I look, I try to look for moments like this, where we can see on display two very logical reasons for differing opinions. And these are people who agree on most things anyway, right? Like Jack Murphy goes on Tim Pool's show um, every couple of weeks. But it was as it pushed through, and I, and I know this, I know something like this hits home for a lot of people based on their real situation. But in particular, in particular, the reality of a situation where like, you know, you're dealing with the consequences of a divorce means that you don't have the freedom that you once did to do with your family as, as, as it were. And the degree to which, but, but even, but, but even if you have an intact family, what's interesting and what's terrifying, in fact, about the times that we're going into is you might discover that that, that, that isn't even enough. And so there are those, like in the case of this video, Tim Pool kind of taking on this, this position, which is like, well, here's the position. And so this is what you have to do. And I would say to the, to the crux of the argument, because there was talk there about how Tim's not a father, there's also something to be said for the fact that for the people who have worked their hardest to put themselves in a position to have that principled stance, and there are people out there and they should be, they should be lauded for it to a certain degree. Those types of people, it, it necessarily becomes more difficult for them to understand why somebody wouldn't do the same thing, right? Because this is what I've done and this, is, this has been success. I don't know that I really have, I don't really have a, a solution for this because there isn't a broad solution. There's general things that one could say, like, you know, you can stop being poor so you can make sure that you're making enough money to make the decision for yourself. And those are kind of all those are kind of all true, right? But that doesn't, that doesn't make anybody's one decision that much easier. And there's certainly something of that that's lost in the fervor of the times today. And so I'm certainly not somebody that if you have to make a compromise at the moment, because you can't just uproot a family and move them across the country, I would, I would, never, think to, um, I would never think to admonish that kind of a person. Now, if that person then takes advantages of everything, right? It's, it's, it's a sliding scale. See, some of us might think of ourselves as conscientious objectors to something that's coming. But that doesn't mean when rubber hits the road, when push comes to shove, that you won't make a different decision. You really don't know. And I, that's, it's funny because even as I've watched this video back and I'm trying to think of something, there's nothing really profound to say because the emotion of that video for me was what um, I think did uh, the most. I think the emotional aspect of that, which is just the real thing that a lot of people are feeling right now. This, see, we've kind of been spoiled, right? We've been spoiled living in the United States because our abstract notions, <clears throat> our, our abstract ideals, generally speaking, were rewarded or reinforced in, in some capacity. What we, and in specific regards to this idea of political freedom. And as I kind of started out by saying, what we discovered is that maybe we're not as free as we thought we were in the United States of America. And I think accepting that leads us down a path that comes to some sort of, well, I guess the proper word, if we wanted to be, uh, if we wanted to be neutral, would be resolution. So this next one that we're going to do, I just want to play the clip because I like playing clips. Fifty-five seconds here of President, our President Joe Biden, receiving his third booster shot. We're going to do our part. We've also given a great deal of funding to COVAX, which is the vehicle that does this. So we have plenty, plenty of opportunity to make sure we get everyone in the world to play our part, the largest part in the world, of getting everyone vaccinated. How many, how many Americans need to be vaccinated first to go back to normal? Like, 
what is the percentage of total vaccinations that have to be deployed? Well, I think, look, I think we get the vast majority, like just going on in some of the some industries and some schools, 97, 98%. I think we're going awful close. And, uh, but I'm not the scientist. Uh. That's a video of our president getting his third dose. That's a video of an old man getting a shot. That's a video that tells something about our future. It's worthwhile to assume that any question asked of Biden spontaneously in this sort of moment is staged. When a reporter asks him how much of the country needs to be protected by big pharma, he says 97%. Here's the problem. Everyone knows it's almost impossible to get to that level of compliance. Not with the rules in place. You certainly can't get to that level of compliance. But when did that ever stop a tyrant? Those videos play pretty well together. The last one that I played and this one from Joe Biden. Because it shows like, like there's one way you could react to this and you could say, well, Joe Biden doesn't really understand all the specifics of it. You know, he's just caught in the moment of the question. And so he comes up with 97%. And that maybe that's not a real number. Maybe he was trying to go after some statistic of like 97% of a certain industry getting vaccinated. And then like the, the, the spill out effects from that will be at a good level. But the question, of course, was something to the extent of when can things expect to be getting back to normal? And that's what, uh, and that's what he said, 97%. Now, this is, again, it's just, these are the things that you need to look out for and need to listen for if you're not already. And I'm sure some of my audience is, right? That's what this is. So this is more reinforcement-based. But what was funny about the aftermath of the story, and it's now completely come out, is that that was done on a set. Like, it turns out a lot of the time that Joe Biden is doing these things, he's on a set. So that'll probably be a future post that we'll talk a little bit about what that means. So let's go to another news bite. Will Facebook recover? Now, it's no news for me to talk about at this point that Facebook and their subsidiaries like Instagram and WhatsApp went down yesterday when I wrote this. And this is the reason given on the official Facebook blog. I don't think there's been any updates as of my recording. Our engineering teams have learned that configuration changes on the backbone routers that coordinate network traffic between our data centers caused issues that interrupted this communication. This disruption to network traffic has had a cascading effect on the way to our data center, data centers communicate, bringing our services to a halt. Now, if I'm translating that correctly, somebody made some kind of mistake and this caused a cascade failure not seen in years. What's interesting about the story and why I kind of put it in, why, why I wanted to just touch upon it quickly is I think the real story will eventually be told. Well-crafted statements rarely hold all the truth. I would wonder whether yesterday, and then I had like a secondary thought to this. So that's, that's the first point. Sorry, I'm kind of like reading through this right away or, or blown right through it. The first point is that I think we'll find out what happened eventually because we always find out what happened eventually. But I was wondering whether yesterday saw a surge in productivity for workers across the country, right? Because we all check Facebook. We all check social media. Well, most of us do uh, uh, to some to greater or lesser extent. Without Facebook, maybe everybody finished their work early and went home to spend time with their families. More than likely, just kept opening the app to see if it would refresh like I did and then check Twitter uh, to see if there were updates. <laughs> so that's the news. Here's the mindset. And this is kind of the, this is, this is the little meditative thing that I'm kind of talking about, because I think a story like this, where something that we use every day goes down and it's like, Oh, I can't, I can't load Instagram. I was trying to send a message. I rarely post. Um, you can follow me on Instagram at the LB Muniz and on my, you know, my, my, my private profile, I would, you know, I was, I wanted to post something with my, um, with my siblings. And I rarely post on Instagram and I'm trying to do it more just to kind of have some life updates out there for like a broader social network family members I have, as it were, and I couldn't do it. So it was like this rare thing where I was actually trying to make a post and then I couldn't, I couldn't tag somebody. And so I kept refreshing and then that's when it went down. So that's, that's, that's how I discovered this. Cause I'm, I'm mostly a Twitter guy as, as it is, but in the aftermath of not having available something that you use all the time and kind of being like, huh, I've been checking this a lot. It's worthwhile to think. 
Does your phone control you? Do you let your apps dictate your time? I'm certainly guilty of this, but we shouldn't let inevitability lull us into a state of slavery with our device. Become the free. Turn off your notifications. Don't, don't even have them come through to your home screen. Put your phone on silent. Mute group chats. Great thing to do when you're trying to get work done. Muting a group chat is what you should definitely do. And the other thing that I find that works really well with this is deleting an app off your phone for a month because I am always on my phone. It's to a problem sometimes. Um, so like if I delete an app, that'll kind of reset my brain. Um, and then you can also try to like reprogram yourself. So I'm trying to reprogram myself to use the Kindle app on my phone more so that I read more books, but we'll see whether that goes. But that's, I think that's a good thing to come out of something like the Facebook crashing and we'll stay tuned and we'll see if there's any updates into the future of, of uh, what actually went, went on. Some people have speculated that, you know, something else would be happening, but in the same week that this occurred, there was a Facebook whistleblower in Congress, which, you know, you might think is somebody who is talked about the issues with these big tech corporations and the degree to which that they've engaged in censorship and how that's that's affected things negatively, you might think that I'm on board with something like this. And in fact, I started this piece as such, whoa, there's a whistleblower. Holy cow, guys, this could be the big one. For the last year, I've written about how social media addiction hurts. And I've tried to give some tips on how to not become enslaved to the algorithm and not sacrifice your relationships, your relationships to the algorithm as it were as well. That's, of course, how it affects you. At a broader level, the purposeful censorship big tech has engaged in over the last year has been the worst in human history. How exciting that the broader American public will learn more about the important work done. Wait, hang on. There's some things about this story that's not adding up. She went on 60 Minutes and testified in front of Congress two days later. That seems awful convenient that a whistleblower would want to give her identity over to 60 Minutes when she was going to go in front of Congress a couple days later. And then, of course... I pulled this quote from the interview that she had, which is, which reads like, basically they said, oh, good. We made it through the election. There wasn't riots. There were plenty of riots in 2020, by the way, we can get rid of civic integrity. Now, civic integrity was like a, a subcommittee or something, a task force they had in Facebook to maintain, you know, civic integrity as it were. Fast forward a couple of months, we got the insurrection. Ooh, well, that's not a good sign when somebody refers to the six as an, as an insurrection. And when they got rid of civic integrity, it was the moment where I was like, I don't trust what they're willing to actually invest, what needs to be invested to keep Facebook from being dangerous. So that's why she decided to blow the whistle it was because, of course, there were no riots in 2020. And then we had we had the events of January 6th. Doesn't a whistleblower usually fear retribution? Seems like she's leading Congress in the direction Facebook was already going. Facebook wants to be regulated. Look for the production, not at the performance, and you become the free. I almost looked really cool last week. This is a little news bite on the government shutdown. I was going to send you talking about the government shutdown, and I was going to point out that government shutdowns are the height of American political theater. Because, of course, the government keeps running even when it's shut down. I was going to predict that they were going to come to a last minute decision, which they've apparently done. And they, you know, now we're going to have to deal with this around beginning of December. Neither political party actually cares about spending levels. So why the pretense? It's for you, of course, and the crowds around the world who think of America as the shining city on the hill. We may be the top dog, but things are looking a little grimy as of late. A few years ago, I would have cursed the sky at increased government spending. Now, I'm just hoping to catch enough dollars as we inflate away the mistakes of politicians. And my point there, my point there is just to say the mindset, the orientation you should have. Because at this point, there's no stopping the spending that's going to come. So if you want to make it to the other side, you can't stomp your foot and say, but they should cut spending. Right. You have to figure out how you're going to um, how you're going to navigate these new waters. And that doesn't make you that doesn't mean you don't make a principled stance. Right. We can talk about government spending if we want. But what's the point? What's 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 really the point at this at this point in our juncture in our news cycle? So this last little news bite before we get into a movie review and close out with is Liberty popular is from uh, is from a NASCAR event. And this guy, Brandon Brown, one who's cool. 
And what you're just going to witness very, very quickly is how somebody tries to bend reality to their will and how you try to construct a narrative in real time. And why this works is because how poorly it was done. All of our partners. Oh my God, it's just such an unbelievable moment. Brandon, you also told me, as you can hear the chants from the, the crowd. Let's go, Brandon. Brandon, you told me you were going to kind of hang back those first two stages and just watch it. Now, I'm sure I don't need to tell you, um, but that crowd was not chanting let's go brandon but you know good job brandon you want to race and i'm sure it's a big deal i don't follow nascar personally but um i'm sure it's a big deal that you won but of course they weren't chanting let's go brandon they were chanting fuck joe biden and these chants have been happening at sporting events across the united states if you haven't seen this story and it's kind of interesting because they're a little on the spot. It, what's in, again, what's interesting about that story is just how the reporter is trying to like, she's like, Oh, let's go, Brandon. Let's, how do I spin this? Now you could say, listen, she's not, she should, probably shouldn't admit the fact that she's doing an interview right now. And they're cursing on national TV, right? Where you have the FCC that's going to fine you for putting something like that out. And so you're going to have to dump. And so you have to try and recover it. But it's also just funny to watch the way it's like, Oh, we're not even going to pay attention to what the crowd is saying. And certainly, I think a lot of people jumped on the story because of the symbolism at play. And it's just kind of fun to listen to and to hear. Um, the sentiment is certainly changing, right? Your sense, the sentiment you're allowed to have towards the administration. And what I wonder is how much of that is allowed, right? Because again, you look and it's like you see the drip and you just start to see editorials. And then I don't think that the people chanting F Joe Biden are in on in on some sort of conspiracy, but certainly the people are pissed. And so I think you're starting to see breaks in the in the narrative discipline around somebody like Joe Biden, allowing for whatever's going to come before the midterms. And some people have some people have theorized what might happen. I certainly don't. I would be in the camp that doesn't think you'll see the president finish out the term but i think it won't i don't think anything will happen until after the results of the midterms one way or the other um so that's just my prediction we'll see what actually we'll see what actually comes true you know what i mean so i did this little movie review thing about reminiscence so you'll have to let me know if you like it um so this movie is set in the not too distant future you enter a sunken miami it's never quite explained how the world ended you assume some sort of climate disaster that coincided with or led to a great war. Thankfully, this movie doesn't need to rest on the climate catastrophism trope that we see so often in Hollywood. For some reason during the war that is often alluded to, searching people's memory became a very important thing and the technology uh, came to be that allowed it to happen. That's where Nick Bannister, Hugh Jackman, learned to help people search their memories. The technology lasted longer than the war, as you might imagine, and now people can go back literally down memory lane using their machine and Bannister's baritone voice as their guide. This movie is, this is how it feels watching the movie. It's wonderfully disconnected. With diving into memory being such a prevalent theme, there's a degree to which you don't know when you quite are in the story until pretty much the end, and even then some. I like that kind of intrigue in a movie. The cinematography does well by a plot driven by monologue. There's a lot of nice establishing shots and appropriate setting, and with appropriately setting the scene and not jumping constantly between shots like a primetime award show trying to hold a goldfish's attention. The dialogue at times can be simple, but there are action scenes to make up for that. And the story itself I found to be creative. There are plenty of moments that remind you of great movies like Inception old, or an old noir film, but it maintains its unique flavor of a world where the memories of the past determine the future. I was intrigued by the plot. I watched this on a plane, even amongst the general discomforts of air travel. So if you like movies that keep you guessing, whether you're not quite sure of what, if what you're seeing is real on the TV, on the screen or not, or if it's even connected to the main plot, I think you'll enjoy this film. Oops. We're just going to jump to the next story as soon as I figure out what I did. There we go. So the last piece that we're going to go through 
and um, this is the one with the most substance to it, is, is asking a question, is liberty popular? My subtitle here is live free, not me. So I think there are questions that hang over the heads of many Americans today. Questions like who will fight for freedom, who will defend liberty, and don't they see what's happening? As a student of human behavior, I have observed how the popular elements of American culture have reacted over the last year and a half. Never before in human history have governments had such powerful tools with which to disseminate their programming. For whatever else may be the case, certainly it can be said that the pandemic and subsequent government actions have affected nearly every aspect of one's life. While the formal structure of the United States is a constitutional republic, the cult of American democracy reigns supreme. Of course, the cult of American democracy has its own formal structure, namely that it's democratic. Whatever pretense there was at the beginning of the 21st century, the United States has a representative government that serves the will of the people is a fantasy that should be only held by those who would rather see the world through closed eyes. You could say we live in a post-constitutional order. There have been some recent data points that I think speak to the efficacy in believing in a popular of the efficacy of believing in a popular democratic solution to liberty in our lifetimes. According to 538.com, the final results for the recall measure in California was 62 opposed and 38 supporting Gavin Newsom's removal. Mind you, this is the government who kept his citizens in their homes, who insisted they wear masks everywhere, who was caught flaunting the rules, who presides over the state that let Hollywood work as normal, but restaurants had to close down. For many of us outside of California, this seemed like an obvious choice. Recall Gavin Newsom. The irony, of course, is he's a white dude, and Larry Elder, who received 3.4 of the 4.7 million votes cast against Newsom, is a black dude. Proving yet again the conversation about racism in America is not about truth or justice, but a method of social control. The LA Times ran an infamous headline who called Larry Elder the black face of white supremacy. The second example are the Canadian snap elections. Now, of course, this isn't strictly American and based, but Canadians are, cult are culturally similar to Americans. And so it's, it's worthwhile to look at their um, look, look at them to see what's to come or at least what could happen. Better said, if you're opposed to locking people in their homes, then you have not supported the actions of Justin Trudeau and his liberal government in Canada. Given Canada's parliamentary system, elections can have a quicker impact based on popular votes, right? It's a, it's a little bit easier, a little bit easier in a, in, in a parliamentary system for that to happen. There is a new party in Canada led by one Maxime Bernier, who is a great guy, I like him, who seemingly shares many of the same values that I do. He has done the yeoman's task of running for prime minister as an outsider in a brand new political party. And he managed to increase the party's vote share from 1.6 to 5%, which is pretty significant. But that 5% could not win them a seat in Canada's federal parliament. Now, during Trudeau's campaign, and hopefully this video plays, during Trudeau's campaign, he set a clear precedent of what his Canada would look like. This is a clip that I'm sure went far and wide. I know this is from Rebel Media, which, which generally opposes Trudeau's government. So maybe, maybe some people didn't see it, right, given the level of protection. But certainly people in Canada have been living under the reality that they have been. We're paying for the provincial vaccine passports to make sure that when someone comes into a restaurant, they'll know they won't be sitting beside a table of people who are unvaccinated. When you go into a gym, when you go to a movie theater, you need to know that if you've done the right things, you get to be safe. You get to be rewarded for having done the right things. That's what it's all about. And those We're paying for the, I'm just going to read, I'm going to read the quote to reinforce it. We're paying for the provincial vaccine passport to make sure when someone comes into a restaurant, they'll know they won't be sitting beside a table of people who are unvaccinated. When you go into a gym, when you go into a movie theater, you need to know that if you've done the right thing, you get to be safe. It is this that Canadians voted for, securing 159 seats in Parliament with no meaningful opposition. 
Story number three, the CDC overrides the FDA. While the CDC and FDA are by their nature non-democratic, right? They're part of the executive branch. They are supposed to follow a certain set of guidelines and procedures so as to give the appearance that they answer to the people. In fact, the FDA and many other federal agencies have a period where the average citizen can offer comment pending a decision. Only two weeks ago, as, as I wrote this, and I think I wrote this about a week ago from when it's getting released, only two weeks ago, the FDA advisory panel voted against authorizing booster shots for most Americans. They did authorize its emergency use for older individuals and those at high risk, and the CDC panel agreed with this. Don't believe me? You can check the New York Times. This almost seemed like a ray of sunshine until last week where the CD, when the CDC decided to disagree with the FDA and their own panel with Director Dr. Roger Rochelle Walensky overriding the vote and declaring that the booster shot should also go to the frontline workers. But don't you worry, because the Biden administration is following every procedure they must use to get these boosters authorized. Here's why it matters. I believe in human freedom and flourishing. If I could control the levers of culture, I would bend them towards freedom and away from tyranny. To put things simply, for a myriad of reasons, I argue to you that we find ourselves in a time where the average person not only prefers safety to freedom, but will actively vote for their subjugation and enslavement. This is not to say hope is lost. It is to say we must be prepared to examine our own presuppositions about the world and challenge the dogmas that led us here. We're not winning any popularity contests, those of us who believe in freedom are not winning any popularity contests in large democratic elections. And while our minority is sizable, it is not the majority. The question before us then is how to bend reality to serve our will, not convince the majority. If you think America needs a software update, do me a favor, share this show with your friends. The point of writing this piece, and then we'll get out of here. The point of me writing this piece, oops, I don't want to turn my video off. <laughs> the point of me writing this piece is not, like I said, is not to say that hope is lost. And it's not to say that believing in human freedom is a worthless endeavor. I'm looking at the structure. I'm looking at I'm looking at things in the best way that I can and trying to make sense of them. And when I look at popular solutions, and again by popular I mean this in the democratic sense. Popular solutions for a strictly freedom-based message don't seem to be resonating with people. And I don't think there's enough time I don't think there's enough time to educate people, nor do I think that simply enlightening people as to an idea means that they will follow you. This is one of the reasons why I want to focus on things like mindset and why I personally focus on things like, you know, improving my, my skill set, my talent stack. Freedom has been part of human history. It goes all the way back to the earliest, the earliest um, symbol referring to freedom goes back to cuneiform, goes back to um, is that ancient Sumeria. Hopefully I got that right. The oldest civilization on earth still had, a, had some sort of a concept of freedom. Aristotle talked about freedom. Socrates talked about freedom. Nietzsche talked about freedom. I don't think freedom is so foreign that it dies. It just needs to be understood. And it needs to be carried forward through time. So while a popular democratic solution doesn't seem likely, right? And so that, and so the more people that, that means the more people we have, the less likely, the more people we have voting in an election, the less likely it is that things will play off. And this is this speaks to the efficacy of, of federal campaigns. And this speaks to the efficacy of broader um, political machinations. 
if we want freedom to succeed. It starts with cleaning your room and becoming someone who's worthwhile. And then we bend reality to our will. like what you heard today, go to beenawake.com to subscribe for future updates. My name is LB Muniz, and I am not one with the woke.